If you have your Bibles, please open them up to, Ma to Mark chapter 8. And if you're not getting a, a message outline, it's back there in the ministry counter out there in the, the foyer, out there in the lobby. Pick that up too. You know, when I uh, grew up in Ohio, my parents lived out on a small farm, and they had several acres of woods. And after a fresh snow, I loved to go back in the woods and look at all the tracks of the animals and critters uh, that came out that night. And, and you could always look at the tracks, and some you could tell. Like, you could always tell the deer tracks because the hoofs and stuff, you could tell. Sometimes they came in, you know, many of them would come together. Sometimes it would be one or two. Yeah, but you could always tell the tracks of a rabbit, right? Everybody could tell the tracks of a rabbit, right? You could even tell, tell the tracks of, of a raccoon, their little paws and stuff. You could tell, hey, that's a raccoon and stuff. But some of the tracks I can't tell. To be honest with you, I can't tell the difference between a track of a coyote, a fox, or a stray dog. They kind of look the same when you look at it, especially in the snow. And there's some other animals were back there. Some other critters were back there. But I couldn't tell what they were. I had no idea. I could tell there was life. There was a lot of evidence of life of animals running around. But I couldn't tell what they were unless I might have some night vision glasses. I don't know if anybody has any night vision glasses. If I put on night vision glasses, maybe I could go back there in the back of the woods at night when those animals would come out. And then I, everything would come into focus. Everything would come where I could see what the animals, who they were, and what kind of animals were walking out. And then I could finally see clearly in the night. And that's what this, really, this whole series is all about. It's to see Jesus. And seeing Jesus with clarity, and seeing Jesus clearly. We're in the book of Mark, and as I say, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going to discover in this chapter three different views of the cross. And this is really important because the way we see the cross is the way we see eternity. And it's very important we see the cross correctly. Now you understand that when I say the cross, I'm not talking about two pieces of wood, right? Oh no, you guys are awake, right? You understand when I'm talking about the cross, I'm not talking about two pieces of wood that's nailed together, right? You know that. I'm talking about the cross. I'm talking about the cross of Jesus. And Jesus suspended upon that cross, nailed to that cross as the God-man, and who died as a substitute for our sins. That's the central point. That's the central point of all history. It's that cross. It's so important. We have to get the cross right. We have to understand the cross because it's so important. In Mark chapter 8, we get three views of the cross. And let me give you a little background. If you were here last week, some of this is going to be review for you. But Jesus was leading his disciples down from Galilee, down from Tyre, all the way down to Bethsaida. And there's a man who was blind, and, he, and God, he's going to heal him. But something unusual happens. Jesus heals him. And you say, what's so unusual about that? It's the way that Jesus did it. He healed the man in two steps. And that's never happened before in the previous seven chapters where Jesus just did miracle after miracle after miracle in those seven chapters. And then here he does, heals this man in two steps. Jesus would spit in the man's eyes. He would touch the man, and he asked the man, he says, can you see? And the man kind of said, sort of, kind of, what I see is like, uh, tree, like men like trees walking. That's what I see, like men like trees walking. And he says, I'm not seeing real clear. It's not coming into focus. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he do that with him? What went wrong with the miracle? Well, nothing went wrong with the miracle. Jesus was turning toward his disciples. This miracle is more about uh, the disciples than it was this blind man. He was walking the disciples right into the parable of their very lives because they were seeing Jesus like trees walking. They weren't seeing him clearly. They weren't seeing him with clarity. He was not in focus. And they had walked with him. They had seen him do so many miracles. They had seen him do all these miracles. Even in Mark chapter 4, they asked the question, when Jesus calmed the storm, they asked the question, who is this? That when he speaks, even the wind and the waves obey him. But they didn't answer the question in Mark chapter 4. 
And so Jesus wanted to bring the disciples in and to see him clearly that they might know and have, that they might know who Jesus is. They might have a correct view of the of Messiah because their view of the Messiah wasn't right. It was fuzzy. It was not clear. It was not in focus. So Jesus asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? And they, 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 the disciples replied. They said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some say that you're one of the prophets. Then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says that you are the Christ. And other gospels say the son of the living God. In other words, you are the Messiah. And so Peter kind of got it right. But Jesus still was not in focus yet. He, he was still not seeing Jesus clearly yet. So Jesus still had to help to define what Messiah meant. So they could understand what really Messiah meant. Because they had a different view. So this morning I want to give you three views of the cross. The first view of the cross is the view that Peter was embracing. The first view the first view is this. Some see the cross as foolishness, as foolishness. It is to reject the way of God, reject the way of God. Let's read Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. In this little discussion, is just jam-packed with information that Jesus gives. First, let's look at what Jesus said. And I want you to understand this. He begins to teach them. He begins to teach them and bring them along so that they might see Jesus clearly. That's what he's doing here. So he understands. He wants them to see him clearly because they don't really understand who he is. They don't get it yet. So he wants them to see him clearly. So he starts with the terminology, son of man. And he's used this term many times in his ministry. He will use it again. The son of man basically just means humanity. That I'm one of you. I'm one of you. It's humanity. And he says he's the son of man. On the surface, not much, much more meaning to that word, the son of man. But when he uses it here, it means a whole lot more. Because how he uses it and when he uses it. And later on in the passage, he uses it in verse 38. Let's read verse 38. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That takes this term Son of Man to a whole new level, Jesus did right there, what he's saying right there to these disciples. And the disciples had to have a bookmark in, in their minds that would go all the way to Daniel 7. We remember Daniel 7 had this vision where he, see, where he saw this prophetic vision where he saw someone like the Son of Man who was coming before the Ancient of Days, and he was given a kingdom and a dominion that would last forever and ever. So the Son of Man on the surface is just Jesus saying, I'm just a human being like you. But the Son of Man at this time to the disciples, what Jesus was saying, I'm God. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. He was letting them know who he was. But Jesus is also sharing with them something that was so foreign to their thinking and their model that they had. That they didn't, never, didn't have in, in their mind that Jesus was going to go, have to go and suffer and die. That they didn't understand. That they did, they did not comprehend. And Peter said, no, this cannot happen. This will not happen. This, this cannot happen, Jesus. For the disciples, like many at that time, they were looking for a Messiah, but their definition of Messiah was different than Jesus. Their, their definition. And probably similar to what you saw on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Jesus was crucified. Remember Luke 19, where Jesus descended down from the Mount of Olives on a donkey, and, and people are singing, and they're praising, and they're putting palm branches down, and they begin to sing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. 
That's what they were doing. That's what kind of, everyone had this mind of the Messiah, of Jesus, who he would be. And the, the, the Messiah would come, and he would change things. That's what they were looking for, to the way they thought it should be according to Jewish thought life. That he would now institute the, and return them back to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And that he would challenge them, even demand that the Jews at that time began to live the Torah in their daily lives. That's what he would start. And, and then he would overthrow the Roman government that was over them, and he would remove all the Gentiles from the, from the Jewish life and the Jewish community. He would remove them. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a hero. They were looking for a deliverer. And Jesus all of a sudden says, no, I've come here to die, to suffer and die. That wasn't what they wanted. That's not what they wanted to hear. That's not what they thought Messiah was. Because they had a completely different vision about Messiah. So Peter pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Just a little note, don't ever rebuke Jesus. Don't ever rebuke him. Even if you say, I don't understand what he's doing here. This can't be right. Understand that we only see a part of a picture. Jesus sees the full picture, and he knows what he's doing. Just agree with him. Jesus, I don't understand where you're going, but I'm just going to trust you in this one. But don't ever rebuke him. The word rebuke here is a very strong word that was even used at times of rebuking demons. And that Peter is so entrenched to his belief system and, and this definition of Messiah that he had in his mind, like the rest of the people, wasn't only Peter, all the other disciples and the people at that time had this. He believed it so much that he believed that he needed to take Jesus aside and set him straight. Jesus, you're not seeing this clearly. You have no idea why you came. Let me tell you why you've come. You can't come to die, but you came for this. And Jesus, looking at Peter and looking at his disciples, did a counter rebuke of him, didn't he? He tells Peter, what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. In other words, he's saying, what you're asking me to do is in alignment with the demonic world. They're trying to keep me from going to the cross. But the cross is so, so important. In Peter's mind, there was no room There was no room for suffering. There was only room for glory. Glory right now. No suffering could be a part of this. Glory. And when you read this, you remember Martin Luther, he talked about the theology of glory. Where there's a redeemer, there's a deliverer, there's no cross, there's no suffering, there's no blood. And Jesus said, no. He rebukes Peter and says, no. And he talks about this misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding. Misunderstandings come easily, don't they? They come real easy. Can I get an amen for anybody that's been married? Yes, amen, they come easily. How can two people look at the same event and one of them be so completely wrong? And I know you're, right, you're hitting your husband. He's always wrong. He's always wrong. Sometimes, the reason, because we allow pride to get in the way, don't we? We allow this pride to get in. We dig in so much, and we think we're seeing clearly, but we're not seeing clearly at all. But nevertheless, we're so entrenched in our beliefs that we don't care what anybody else says. This is what I believe. That's the way the disciples were. That's the way Peter was. That's the way most of it was. So my question is, what is your understanding of Jesus? What is your understanding of Jesus and the cross? There are so many people in our world, in our country, and unfortunately in our churches, they have a vision of Jesus that's not in alignment with the Bible. They don't see Jesus the way the Bible lays him out. They're not seeing Jesus clearly according to the Bible. They look at the cross as foolishness. It's foolish. We don't need to talk about the cross. We need to talk about other things, but not the cross. Let's not focus on the blood of the cross. Let's not look at it, because it's foolishness. The second view is some don't recognize the cross. They looked at Jesus, whatever they can get out of Jesus, in terms of health and wealth and wisdom and healing. He'll, he'll provide all that, but you look at that and you say, where's the cross? The cross is there, but it's in a distance. It's in a distance. They don't talk about it. 
There's others who view the cross in a different way. I mean, view Jesus in a different way. They view Jesus as kind of a teacher or a philosopher and, and uh, where the cross is almost non-existent. People don't like to talk about the cross. I don't know if you're aware of that. This particular uh, group will embrace the red letters of Jesus, the words of Jesus. They will model the lives after Jesus, but their life didn't begin at the cross. They didn't have their beginning at the cross. They don't look at the beginning of the cross. What they're trying to do is live their life like him, be more like Jesus. It's, it's trying to be good people. That's how they view it. We have to be good people. Two individuals back in 2005 wrote a book. It was done after extensive research and thoughts and patterns and students in the United States. And their conclusion in this book, Soul Searching, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And they coined a term called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. It's not a religion. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of life is what they said. It's what is happening, they says, with American teenagers today. Then it's built on basically five different pillars, and I want to share those five pillars with you. Number one, they believe a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. That's the first one. There's a God who exists, and he created everything, and he watches over human life. Number two, God wants us to be good people. Good people, nice and fair to others. That's what he wants. He wants us to be good people. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to solve a problem. That's the only way we need him. We have a problem. We go to God. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. That's the kind of the, the pillars that's out there right now. It's the way people are living. Did you hear any reference there to the cross? Any at all to the cross? There's none. The emphasis is on moralistic. They're being good. We got to be good people. We got to be kind. We got to be affectionate. We got to be understanding. We got to let people be different and understanding and tolerant and all those kind of things. That's what they're saying. Deism is used here. The reason, reason deism is used is a recognition that God is creator, but God as a creator is not interested in what is going here, going on around, down here on this earth. He's not interested in what's happening in your life. It doesn't really care. Unless you have a problem, you can bring it to him, but he's not really care. So people live their own lives under this Christian name they have, but they live it for themselves. They're really living it for themselves until they get into a problem, and then they call out to God. Do you see that happening today? Do you see that happening in our world and how it's changing? Some of the things I'm hearing, some of the things I'm seeing, there are more and more churches and pastors around the country who allow this kind of thinking to come in their messages and their sermons. And so you hear this, and, and if you're listening to other pastors, you hear them sometimes, you know, Jesus is here to make your marriage better. That's why Jesus came, to make your marriage better. That's why he's here. He, wa he wants to make your marriage better. Or Jesus is here to make you whole. Because you're not whole, and Jesus came to make you whole. Or Jesus came to bring you self-fulfillment. Or Jesus came here to make you happy. <laughs> you hear a lot of things that Jesus came to do. Why He may do all those things in your life. We need to understand this. Jesus came to die on the cross so that you may have life. Amen? That's why he came. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That was his mission. That's why he came. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, to everyone else, anything diminishes the cross, anything that eliminates the cross is not to have a clear picture of Jesus. It's not seeing Jesus clearly. And it's rejecting the way of God. Anyone that would do that. So Jesus has to say to them, no, this isn't, this isn't going to work because you're not seeing me clearly. You have to see me through the cross. You have to see me through that blood-stained cross that the Messiah, Jesus, must suffer and die first. 
you must understand that's what he's saying. But then Jesus is going to talk about another way to view the cross, and the third way to view the cross is we view the cross as salvation. We reject our own way. There's no way we can get to heaven on our own. We view it as salvation. Let's begin reading Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him, uh, uh, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for a soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Let me explain that last verse uh, to make sure we get it. And then we'll look back at those powerful and, and just amazing words that Jesus said there because they are very powerful. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, let me read it again. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God uh, come with power. What was Jesus referring to when he said that? Well, some believe this reference is some of the disciples would live long enough to see the death, resurrection, and the coming, the beginning of the church, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Some believe that's what that verse is meaning. Some believe it even goes to the extent that they will see the second coming of Jesus where he comes on power and glory. But what I believe there is more, an explanation that's right there in the text that's talked about there that maybe be the best option. Even though the first two could be an option, people say, that Jesus is about ready to take three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountaintop, to the Mount Transfiguration, that this Jesus, the Son of Man, humanity, the Son of Man, deity, is going to go to the top of the mountain. He'll reveal himself by stripping away his humanity. And for those few moments... Peter, James, and John are going to see Jesus who he really is. They're going to see him in his glory. They're going to see him as magnificence. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to see the kingdom of God right there. I believe that's what that reference in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, what he's talking about. In just a little while, I'm going to take some up there, and they're going to see my glory. They're going to see me. There's a few here that's going to see it, and that was them. But Jesus shocked the disciples when he says that I'm going to die. They did not understand that, even though the disciples should have understood that from the Messianic Psalms. And, and they could also look at Isaiah, which is very clear. Let me read Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That this Jesus, this Messiah, wasn't, go wasn't going to fit in the model of the disciples. He wasn't fit in their models that they had in their mind. Not at all. Because he was going to come and die. And this was always in the plan of God that Jesus would die. Always was in his plan. And Jesus did. He did die on the cross for us. And the disciples had to be shocked as well when Jesus said, if you want to be one of my disciples, you have to die too. They had to shock them to hear what he said, because that's what he's saying in this passage. If you want to be one of my disciples, you have to die too. Think about that. That blows away people that think that Jesus came to make my life better. He came to make my life better, to, to what I'm doing, to just increase it. Jesus says, no, I died for you. And if you want to be a follower of mine, you've got to die too, is what he's saying there. He's telling them, you've got to die too. So the picture we have of this Messiah, this rabbi, he's leading us along as followers of Jesus, and he's carrying his cross, and he's looking back at you and I and saying, you've got to carry your cross too. 
you've got to die if you want to be one of my disciples, if you want to follow me. You can't live for yourselves anymore. You can't live for yourselves. If you want to be one of my disciples, there's a different way you have to live. If you want to be one of my disciples, in other words, he's saying, if you, you've got to live with the love of Jesus. You've got to live selflessly. You've got to live sacrificially. You've got to live not to hold on to your own life is what he's saying. You can't live to hold on to your own life, to your own things. He says, because if you try to hold on to it, you're going to lose it. And he goes on, whoever wants to save his life is trying to hold on to this life. You're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, and for the gospel, will find it. This is a fascinating paradox of how to live. That's what Jesus said. This is how you live. Don't hold on to your life. Let your life loose. Let it go. Die to self is what he's saying. And people who say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and they, they kind of attach to Jesus and latch on to him. And you just see it. I want to be a follower of Jesus, but they just want to latch on, to, on Jesus. You see it in today's world. They they fit church whenever they can. They come to church whenever they can or, or right now watch it online whenever they can. It's not really important. But when they, they get into difficulty, they, they know where to come, right? They know where to come. But church isn't really that important. Worship of Jesus isn't really that important. But Jesus said, no, you've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. He says, if you want to have full life, you're going to have to die. Die to self. You've got to die to self. If you really want to live this life, if you choose to live a life where you're climbing your ladders, and trying to accumulate all these things and accumulate, he says, that's not life at all. That's not life at all. That's an empty life. But if you die, that's living. If you die to self, that's really living. He goes on in, in uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew 6, tells us, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And he tells us there in Matthew, at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you put me first, put the kingdom of God first and God first, all these other things that you want will be given to you but you must put him first. So Jesus is saying to him, die. You need to die to self. He, he says, you, you want to live? Then you've got to die. That's what the message he was given to those disciples at that time. And Peter didn't get it. Jesus said to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. By the way, in the, the book of Mark account, he adds another sentence. He, he said, Jesus says to Peter, he says, you're a stumbling block to me. He says, you're a stumbling block. And those are really strong words, aren't they? Where he says, you're a stumbling block to me. Have you ever thought in your own heart and mind about being a stumbling block to God? You ever ask yourself or ask the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, am I a stumbling block anyway to the movement forward of God's kingdom? Am I a stumbling block anyway to the church? Am I a stumbling block anyway to my own life? Am I a stumbling block to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? We never want that word to be used of us, right, to be a stumbling block. Stumbling block. We don't want to be a stumbling block to God, do we? We need to ask ourselves over that. Jesus is saying, if you want to live, you've got to die. You've got to live selflessly. You've got to live sacrificially. You can't go on living the way you lived before if you want to be one of my disciples. If you are truly one of my disciples, you won't continue living your life like you did before. But you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. Die to self is what he's talking about. Then he goes on to say in verse 36 and 37, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Well, what can a man give in exchange for a soul? What he's saying, and the most important is not what we gain in this life. He's saying, but what's is the life to come? It's after this life. That's what the most important is, is the life to come is what he's saying. And he says that once we die, then we begin to truly live, is what he's saying. But we must die. We must die to self. Jesus didn't come in, in just to make your life better. Jesus said, no, 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 I came to give you a new life. You're a new creation. 
The old is gone. That old life is gone. I didn't come to increase that old life. I came to take that old life away. It's gone. And I made you a new creature in Christ. You know, I've watched sports for a long time. You hear me talk about sports a lot. I love watching sports. And sometimes you watch a football game, and there's a fantastic play that will happen on there. And I remember years ago, they interviewed, I think it was the quarterback, they interviewed him, and they asked him about this fantastic play that happened in the game. And this quarterback said, this is the third most important day of my life. And they said, the third most important. He goes, the first day, the first is when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. The second was I married my wife, and this plays the third day. The cross puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? Puts everything in perspective, let's just understand. For people who make their accomplishments their number one thing in their life, or anything else but Jesus is their number one thing in life, they're destined to live an empty life that is lost. It's lost. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't say, I'll accept you making me second. Do you understand he doesn't accept that? He wants to be first. He wants to be the highest priority in your life. He said, I didn't come into your life to be a part of your religion or be part of your life. I came into your life to be your life. I want to be your life. I want you to yield your life to me. I want you to die that old way because it didn't work. It's destruction. It's leading down a wrong place. The only way is through me and continue to walk with me is what he's saying. Back in 1955, there were five missionaries, men, along with their wives and families, if they had children and stuff, left this country with their prospects uh, behind of making a lot of money. There were some of them there in law and real estate and medicine, but they went to Ecuador to take the gospel of Jesus to people who've never heard of Jesus. And their story wasn't broadly known, but what they did, they, they would take a plane, they would fly over the jungle area, and they'd fly over the jungle area, then they would just drop gifts to the Aka Indian tribe. And the gifts that were meant to demonstrate the love of God and meant to open up a relationship so one day they could land and share the love of Jesus with them. But it was on January 6, 1956, that when that plane landed on the beach, that those five men died at the end of a spear. And this word went around the world, traveled around the world, and people didn't understand, and people were asking questions, and they were saying, why? What a tragedy, what a tragedy that these young lives with so much potential for money and success were lost, were taken at early age. It, it makes no sense. Why would they do this? Some of those wives of those men who died, they would go back to Ecuador, and they'd share the gospel with some of those men who threw the spears. And some of those men who threw the spears came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Can you imagine that? Amen. Praise God. Was it a waste of life? According to Jim Elliott, who said years earlier, he made this quote, he said this, He is not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What a great quote. Many people quote that all the time. What Jesus is saying to us, he's saying this, Without the cross, we are nothing. Do you understand it? Without the cross, we are nothing. It's at the cross we find life. Our life begins at the cross. It begins at the cross. That's what Jesus was saying to him. It begins at the cross. So when you're talking, I can't suffer and die, you're taking away the cross. No, you need the cross. Jesus called his disciples. He said the disciples were a community of the cross. That's how he labeled it. You're a community of the cross. We are followers of Jesus. And we're carrying our cross. We have died to ourselves. At least that's who we are. We've died to ourselves. Hopefully you realize that. We're not living this life to climb ladders. We're not living this life to make money. We're not living this life to feel good about ourselves. We're not living this life to invite Jesus to solve our problems every now and then. That's not what it's about. 
That's what the Christian life's about. Well, I'll live my life the way I want in Jesus. Every once in a while, I'll call you when I have problems. I'll ask you for help. That's not what he wants. He invited us to be his disciples, to die, in dying that we might live. I mean, really live. That's what he's saying. I invited you because your life was going nowhere. Your life is going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire if you kept going the way you were. I invited you to come with me so I might give you a new life with a new destination that's hope for eternity. That's why Jesus came. I have two challenges for you today. That maybe you're here, you're here, you're listening online, and you know about this Jesus. You know about him, you know some facts about him, but you never really understood the cross till maybe today. You know, Billy Graham said so often when he was alive that when you see the cross and Jesus on it, it's God saying to the world that I love you. That it is. The cross is a picture of God saying, I love you. And I love you so much that I sent my son. That anyone who would eliminate the cross, anyone that would that could diminish the cross, don't listen to them. Don't be under the, their teaching. Anybody would say, oh, you don't need it, or the cross isn't important. Don't listen. The cross is our beginning. The cross is who we are. Do you understand that the importance of the cross? We just can't say, I know Jesus, but not with the cross. No, it's the cross. We need the cross of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ yet, if you say, I know facts about him, you know, I, I know him, but I've never accepted the cross of Jesus Christ. I've never accepted he died on the cross for my sins. I've never accepted that blood-stained cross of Jesus. Please do that today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus that he died on the cross for you. The second challenge is for those of us who claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Is it possible that years with Jesus, if we known Jesus, that somehow that this cross got pushed to the side, somehow it got pushed aside, and our walk with Jesus is more of a ritual than a relationship. Now it's more of coming to church and it's a ritual because that's what we do. But we forgot about the relationship that we have with Jesus. That somewhere along the line, the message of the cross and the message of, of love and the message of living a sacrificial life became so stale. And we were looking for other things to satisfy us. Maybe with partying and having people over all the time. Maybe that's it. Maybe through our career. Maybe through our hobbies. Maybe the busyness of life and just with family and being so busy. But somehow along the way, we lost touch with the message of that Jesus said, dying to self, the message of the cross. May I encourage you today to re get reconnected with Jesus, to come to him and get reconnected. If you've done that, if you, if you went away, Jesus is right here ready to, with open arms to accept you. Just confess your sins. Man, I, I, just, I just got away. I have, I put other things before you, Jesus. And draw back to the personal work of Jesus. Let's love him. Let's live for him. Let's die to self and yield our hearts and mind to Jesus because that's what he wanted. That's what he was saying to his disciples. It's not good enough just to walk with me. It's not good enough just to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, it takes more than that. A follower of me will die to self and pick up their cross and follow me and live for me. That's why I saved you. That's why I came into your life. And today I, I want to give us the opportunity to do that by taking communion. Because I thought it would be a great way to remind us that, that we might remember Jesus and the cross of Jesus, who he is. That when we take the elements, we're remembering that Jesus shed his blood for us as we take the wafer. And as we take the, the juice, we're reminded that Jesus shed his blood and gave his body. And vice versa. When we take the crackers, he gave his body for us. And the, and the blood, is, and the juice is, he shed his blood. But every time we take this, we take communion, we're proclaiming Jesus' death on the cross. Do you understand that? 
every time we take this, the Bible says we're proclaiming his death on the cross, that we believe in the death of Jesus on that cross. We believe in the cross of Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. That we are proclaiming that every time we take communion. Are we reminded of that? Listen, without the cross, there's no eternity for us with Jesus. Without the cross, that blood-stained cross, through that blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no relationship with God. There's no heaven for us. Without the cross, this relationship is gone. It's only through the cross of Jesus that we find forgiveness of sins and eternal life with, with God. It's only through that. So let's remember the cross, and when we come, let's thank Jesus for the cross. If we have sins to confess, if we haven't put Jesus first in our lives, if we're still living our lives for ourselves and not for Jesus, let's, let's confess that before we take communion. The communion is for anyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake this morning. But the way we're going to do it, because of COVID-19, everyone says that now, don't Because of COVID-19, we have to do it a little different. We're not going to pass the plates out. We set up the elements on three different tables. So after I get done praying, we're going to have some music. You're going to be able to come and get the elements yourself. But as you're coming up here, please practice social distancing. And after you receive the element, go back to your, your chair, and we'll take it all together at the end, okay? So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, you come, and we want to say thank you for the cross. Thank you for the shed blood upon that cross. For Lord, through that and only through that do we have eternal life. We so praise you and thank you, Lord, as we come. I pray for each and every one of us this morning, Lord, we realize the significance and the importance of the cross. Just to know Jesus is not enough. We have to know Jesus and his cross that he died upon. To put our faith and trust in Jesus that he died, bled and died upon that cross for us. So, Lord, I pray that if somebody doesn't know you, they just know you apart from the cross, they don't really know you. And that's the disciples. They didn't really know you yet until they understood the cross, that you must suffer and die. And to us, Lord, if we only know Jesus about him, we don't know him through the cross. We've never come to the cross of Jesus, then we don't know you. And we don't know God the Father. So I pray for someone here this morning who may not know you. I pray for their soul right now. They might understand it simply as just understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin. And right now they can put their faith and trust in him. And they can be a child of yours. And then they're ready to take communion because they're one of yours. But I pray for all of us this morning, Lord, as we're taking communion, that we might spend time to realize the significance of the cross. That Jesus, you came, not because you were forced to come. You came because you loved us so much that you were willing to give your life. And God the Father, you loved us so much you were willing to sacrifice your one and only son to demonstrate your love to us and your commitment. And Jesus, you came, and you went to that cross. You went to that cross, and you died on that cross. And our sins were, were washed away. And we were cleansed because of that blood-stained cross. And so this morning, Lord, we're lifting up our hearts and minds to remember the cross of Jesus. To thank you for what you did for us. To worship you. And Lord, as we take this communion together, we're taking it with you. We're reminded of what you did for us. Lord, we praise you and we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.